So now if you have your Bible in your hand, please turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel. And you can turn there in the, the Pew Bible that's in front of you as well. As I considered this, this first service together as one church of what I should preach for the first um, service, and as Hope Church at the Darlington Art Center, we had been working our way through uh, the book of First Samuel, uh, and actually, when I preached for Crosspoint for you all, that I had uh, preached one of those sermons early on, uh, looking at the prayer of Hannah. And so I thought, well, do we continue with First Samuel? Do we start a new series going through a, a different book? And and providentially, um, God ordered it so where we were in First Samuel was entering a new section of the book. And I, I know many people who actually have started sermon series in 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, because it, it enters a, a new chapter. And, and so I thought, oh, well, thank you, Lord, that, that that's where we are in the, the course of uh, 1 Samuel. But also, I think that this will be a very fitting section of Scripture to study uh, in the coming weeks and months, that this is a period in the history of ancient Israel of where they were going through change. Uh, there was a, a change of leadership stru uh, structure. Um, throughout the period from Moses and Joshua all the way to the time of Samuel, for several hundred years they had been ruled by judges who would be raised up in each generation, but they didn't have a monarch uh, that carried on the, the lineage of, of rule from one generation to the next. And so here there's a, there's a change of the, the structure of government within ancient Israel. And so you can see all the, the growing pains that they face. And, and so I think that it'll be a very useful book for us to, to study as we are in a time of, of change and transition together. So again, if you turn to, to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and you'll remember that uh, this book was uh, written um, after the time of the events recorded, but, but still in the ancient world. It, it was uh, written almost 3,000 years ago, and it's recording events that are almost 3,000 years ago. Um, and so this is ancient history, but, but God speaks to us through history because we get to see his character and how he operates, and we learn about the, the character of, of man and and how God works in salvation. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us, like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, 
give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, you are king. You are the Lord of our lives. And Lord, we need your lordship. We need your dominion over all things to even begin to understand the things that you have given us in your word. And so we pray for wisdom, for strength, for comfort, uh, that you would guide us as we explore this text together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you look at this passage today, 
you can see that there was a leadership problem in Israel. That there was this pattern of failed leadership. And you see that in verse 1 to 3, if you look in your Bible. Samuel was old, and he had followed the teaching of Deuteronomy 16 by appointing judges to rule in various cities. Uh, but apparently he had appointed some of his own sons to be judges in the land. And the text says that they were perverting the way of justice, that they didn't walk in the way of Samuel, their father. And so in a sense, history is repeating itself. Earlier in the book of, of 1 Samuel, uh, you'll remember Eli, who was the, the mentor to, to Samuel, and Eli's sons had turned away from the Lord and didn't follow in his path. Here, though, Samuel is not blamed in the text. Samuel isn't blamed, but Eli was blamed for the disobedience of his children. So it, it seems that even despite the faithfulness of Samuel, that his, his children had still turned away from the Lord. And they were beginning this pattern of failed leadership again. But this pattern had been going every generation almost for Israel since they came into the promised land. Go back and, and read the book of Judges that picks up after the death of Joshua, who brought them into the promised land from Egypt. And you'll see the refrain over and over again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That there was a leadership vacuum in Israel. And that's an interesting phrase, leadership vacuum. I mean, you can think of a, a vacuum like how if you suck gas out of a space that something else will try to enter in to fill the, the void. Um, and that's the way that leadership is, that we have a, a longing for leadership deep in the human heart. And that's something that God actually planted deep within us. All the way back at the beginning of creation, God established himself as king, as the Lord over all things. And that's even why in our text, God says that Israel has rejected himself, that they've rejected God as king. That we have a longing for the, for the lordship of God. But then God had also built that into the, the structure of humanity. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, to, to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you'll see that even though the word king doesn't appear, that Adam had a kingly role in the Garden of Eden, that he was to lead his family, and he was told to exercise dominion over creation, uh, a kingly Dominion, in a, in a sense, as a representative of the true king, the Lord, in the world. But then, tragically, he failed as a king. That the first leadership failure in the Bible is Adam, who cast himself and then all of his descendants into this repeated pattern of failed human leadership throughout history. That if you are a student of history, you can find example after example 
of the, the failure of leadership and how quite often when you replace one tyrannical leader uh, that something even worse comes in to fill the void. You could think of the, the fall of Saddam Hussein in Iraq and then the way that ISIS rose up in a leadership void of the vacuum. And this has happened over and over again. And this is something that, that has even happened throughout the history of the church and even in recent church history. You could think of prominent evangelical leaders in the past 10 years who have fallen, who have sinned, who have abused their offices. Think of Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, or James McDonald in Chicago, or Ravi Zacharias in his apologetics ministry, that these were men who were leaders of the church, but then in different ways fell into sin and abused their, their leadership role. And it damages the church, it damages God's people, and it can create even a, a leadership vacuum where people say, I don't want pastors, I don't want Christian leadership, I'm going to reject the, the biblical structure of church leadership altogether and just go out to the world and look for leadership and guidance there because I want nothing to do with the church. That there are these patterns of failed leadership. And so the question is, how should we respond when earthly leadership fails? How should we respond when earthly leadership fails? I think that we've, we've all experienced failed leadership. If, if you've worked in the business world, and you've had a job, I'm sure that you've had failed leadership from a supervisor at some point or from a, a CEO. And then if you stay around the church long enough, you may not encounter some kind of massive moral failure, but you will encounter many failures from spiritual leaders within the church. I mean, just look at the pages of the Bible. Think of David, a man after God's own heart, and all of his failures in leadership. Or think of Solomon, this great man of wisdom, and all of his leadership failures. Or, or think of Peter in the New Testament, one of the greatest apostles, one of the great leaders of the church, and the way that he failed over and over again. And as any Christian leader looks at that, he should be very humbled, saying that, okay, I'm not more godly than David, Solomon, and Peter. And so there will be failures in the church, failures of leadership. And I know that as a pastor, I will fail in many ways. So this is something that we will all face. And so again, we need to ask the question, how should we respond when earthly leadership fails? Well, first we get a, a negative example in our text from Israel. We see Israel responding to failed leadership and you could summarize their response with one word, imitation. That they say, we have failed leadership in our current system, and so let's completely restructure the leadership system of Israel. We need a new leadership model. And as we sit in Israel and we look around at all of the nations, 
It looks like the nations around us are faring better. And they all have hereditary kingship. And so let's establish a system like the nations around us. And then we'll be safe, we'll be secure, we'll be prosperous. We'll be just like Egypt to the south. And in a sense, that desire for a king is not wrong. When they go to Samuel and they say, you are old. <laughs> um, not exactly. Had written a this land. And I would actually encourage you to turn there with me because this is a significant passage for understanding what is going on in our text. So turn back in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And look with me at verse 14 of chapter 17. That Moses from the Lord offered direction for kingship in Israel. So again, Deuteronomy 17 verse 14 he says that when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. So there you see that the word of God anticipated the response of the people. And in a sense, they're even basing their language on the book of Deuteronomy, asking for a king like the nations. Then look at what God says in verse 15. He says, You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord will choose. And so he's saying kingship is not wrong in and of itself. It's not wrong to have a king. And if you get to the place where you demand a king that you can grant that request and have kingship in the land, but then God goes on to explain what this kingship should look like. That they wanted a king like all the nations, but then God outlines what the king should do. And we see that he would not be a king like all the nations if he followed the directions that God outlines. So he says that it's the Lord's choice. He goes on. The Lord God will choose. One from whom... From your brothers you shall set as king over you. And you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall not, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life, that he, he may learn to fear the Lord his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up against above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom. 
he and his children in Israel. So I wanted to, to read that entire passage to you because you see the kind of kingship that God envisioned for Israel. That the king shouldn't acquire great wealth. He shouldn't have many chariots and many horses, or he shouldn't have many wives. And it says that he should be a, a man of the book, that, that he should take the, the law of God, the law of Moses, and he should write it out by hand. And then he should take his copy to the Levitical priest to be approved, to make sure he didn't add anything or take anything away or, or make any mistakes in his copying of God's word. And then he was to carry that scroll with him and read it so that he could fear the Lord and walk in all of his ways. And so you can see this model of kingship. It's not wrong to have kingship. But then Israel was wrong to desire a king like all the nations. That this is not a king like all of the nations. But as one commentary points out, that a king in the ancient world offered a strong, stable, predictable center of political authority for a nation that otherwise had to depend on an unseen God to unite them. Furthermore, the kingship held out the promise of efficient central organization to a nation that lacked such structures intended to lure from, to lurch from one crisis to the next. But then in a sense, the church can be a lot like Israel. That we, we look at patterns of failed leadership in the church. And then it's so easy for the church to say, well, what we want is actually what the world has. And so let's look at the, the world. And I know so many pastors who have interviewed for positions at churches, and it's clear that the, the search committee is, isn't looking at the biblical qualifications for pastors and spiritual leaders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can use the national speaker God establishes in Scripture. That in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, listen at the, the New Testament description of, of leadership. And think of this in light of the, the office of kingship in the Old Testament. In church. And then it goes on to describe this, this pattern of leadership. And so when we encounter failed leadership in the church, the call is not to look at the world and to look at the nations, but to return over and over again to the word of God. What does God lay out for us? How can we be faithful to scripture? And it's really what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And so that's the, the first example of leadership, response to failed leadership in our text. It's the, the response of Israel. It's to imitate the nations, imitation. But then we see another response to failed leadership in the text, which comes from Samuel. And this can also be summarized by one word. The first word was imitation. 
And this word is supplication. Because that's what Samuel does. Turn, turn back in your Bible to, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And look at verse a problem of failed leadership in the land. He's, he's facing the problem of the sins of his own children. He, he's facing this sinful demand from the nation, from Israel to have a, a king like the nations. And he could have immediately gone into debate mode, or he could have gone into problem-solving mode, uh, or he could have just been angry and decided to walk away from a leadership role in Israel altogether. But instead, it says that he prayed to the Lord. And that's how we should respond as well, that when we face failed leadership in any sphere, whether in the church or in the business world or in the political world, that any time we see leadership malfunctioning, we should pray that our first response will be prayer, that we'll pour ourselves out to the Lord. And that's actually a great example of what to do when we face any problem. When your children are fighting in the other room and you're going to go intervene, pray beforehand. Or when you're having an argument with your spouse, before you say anything, just take a moment and pray for gentleness and humility. What problem are you facing today? And have you taken that to the Lord in prayer? Having prayer is the, the starting place for dealing with that problem in your life. So that's the, the second response to failed leadership. So we've looked at Israel's response, Samuel's response. But now, finally, let's look at God's response to failed leadership. We said that the first word is imitation, that Israel wanted to imitate the nations. We said supplications, Samuel prayed to the Lord in supplication. But then the final word is provision. That we see God's marvelous provision for his people. And first, God provides encouragement for Samuel in verse 7. Look there in your Bible. It's remarkable how God is concerned for Samuel when he answers. He says, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so he's saying that this desire for a new political structure is revealing a, a deep spiritual problem in the heart of Israel. And for Samuel, he could have been tempted to take it personally, to be insulted, to think that people were rejecting him and his leadership. But then God offers this word of comfort. No, Samuel, they're, they're not rejecting you. They have rejected me. And I think that that's an encouragement for any of us when we speak the gospel to others, when we proclaim God's word, that there are times where maybe we are rejected because we failed in some way ourselves. But when we're faithful and, and offering the gospel to other people, that when we face rejection, 
we can remember that it's, it's not ultimately an us problem. It's not that they have a problem with us uh, or that they were rejecting us, but ultimately it's a rejection of God. And it's actually what Jesus says in Luke 10, 16. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so God offers this encouragement to Samuel. We see his provision. But then also he provides instruction for Samuel. So he gives him encouragement, and then he gives him instruction. And he says, grant the request of Israel, but before you do that, warn them of the way of the king. Um, there is a, a fantasy book called The Way of Kings, but here he offers the way of the king to Israel. And it's not a pretty picture of kingship. And you'll see that as Samuel outlines this to the people, it's the longest discourse of Samuel in Scripture. And he repeats the word take over and over again. Verse 11, that the king will take your sons. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. Verse 14, he'll take your fields and your vineyards. Verse 15, he'll take a tenth of your produce. Verse 16, he'll take your male and female slave to the king. So he's saying, yes, you may want a, a bigger government. You want, to make, want a more efficient bureaucracy. And there may be some benefits to that. But you will pay in higher taxation. You will pay in losing many of your freedoms if you give them up now. But then Israel continues to demand the king. And so we see God providing encouragement for Samuel, uh, providing instruction for Samuel. But then finally, at the end of our text, God offers this promise of a king. And that's what we'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks, as God establishes kingship in the land. The first, he'll establish Saul, who will fail in many ways and be rejected. And then he will establish David, who will be a man after God's own heart, but will fail in leadership. And then he'll establish Solomon, who will be a man of wisdom, but will fail. And then you read about Samuel, and he does everything that God told kings not to do in Deuteronomy 17. He had great wealth, he had horses from Egypt, he had many wives, and it led to the destruction of the unified nature of Israel, that they split north and south. And then as you continue to read the Old Testament, the Old Testament becomes a history of leadership, failure, failure after failure, that even the good kings fail to pass it on to their children. And so we wonder, where is God in, in all of this failure? And this is where we begin to see what God is doing in our text today. Because on the one hand, we see the human responsibility that God is going to hold the people accountable for their sinful requests for a king like the nations. But then we also see divine sovereignty at the work, at work along with human responsibility. Because through their sinful requests, with all of their bad motivations, God would raise up the, the lineage of David. And even though there would be countless failures in the, the history of David's line, that it would lead ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who would be the king of kings, who would be the, the king. And so when we ask the question that I asked at the beginning of how should we respond to failure in earthly leadership, the answer is we go back to Jesus over and over again. And when we come to Jesus as the Lord of our life, as, as the king, and that's what it is to come to faith, to say, I'm not the king of my own life and my own destiny. It's not the, the wisdom of the nations that I need, but Lord Jesus, I'm confessing you as Lord of my life. You are the king. You take control of everything in my life. And when Jesus comes into our life as Lord and Savior, when he takes control of the steering wheel of your life, that he's not like the, the wicked kings of Israel who takes and takes and takes, but he is the, the servant king who gives and gives and gives. And it's what Jesus says of himself in Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the true and the living King. Let's pray.